take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read this really quickly while you're standing. But while you turn, let me just tell you that this passage is not accidentally in where it is in the, in the Scriptures. I think one, sometimes we look at things and we uh, have it sectioned off like paragraphs or sections in your Bible, and we forget that this was all written in continuity. And so this is not something that God dropped in here accidentally or randomly. This is speaking to where Jesus is in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to begin in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 7. It says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil, and by the way, if you don't think you're evil today, you need to check your heart. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Lord Jesus, would you just speak to us today, just like you did on that Sermon on the Mount would you just speak to us today, speak to our hearts. Father God, would you have your way in this place through your Holy Spirit. Use this time for the encouragement of your people, for calling the lost. God, for focusing our attention on the things you want us to focus on. And we'll give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So if you look back at the first part of this chapter, it's talking about righteous judgment. It's talking about good discernment. How to make sure that you're looking at things through the right prism. The next thing we're going to talk about, Lord willing, next week is entering the kingdom. How do I get to heaven? How do, what does that look like? And in the, in the meantime, this passage explains to us how to take that discernment that we've given, apply it properly to our lives so that we can enter into the kingdom, as he's going to tell us in the next passage. So today I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about prayer and practice. Um, prayer is not the thing that we do when we're getting ready to do something powerful, Prayer is the power. And once we've prayed, once we've sought the Lord, then we turn that from prayer time into practice time, and that's what we're going to see when we get to verse 12. So again, prayer and practice. The first thing we're going to look at is verses 7 through 11, and we have to persist in prayer. Persist in prayer. The ask, seek, and knock actually is its own acronym. The word ask, A-S-K, Ask, seek, knock. That's what we're to do. Tony Evans calls prayer an earthly request for heavenly intervention. I, I like the way he, he thinks. I like the way he writes. And when, he, when I saw that statement, it really resonated with me that prayer is an earthly request for heavenly intervention. Note that it's not a, an earthly request for earthly intervention because that's not necessarily how God operates all the time. That's how we want him to operate. We want to pray and him fix stuff, but that's not what all, always what he does. I'm going to be honest, and most of this message I'm preaching to me. So if you want to catch a little shrapnel, you go ahead. But I'm telling you, this message is primarily something that God has really been pounding into my heart over the past couple of weeks. I struggle with prayer time because I'm a checklist guy. I'm a doer. I like to do and get done and mark it off and move on to the next thing. And that's just not how prayer functions many times. 
Prayer is not a, here, God, give me this, and he gives me this, and I mark it off my list. Hey, here, God, do this for me, and he does it for me, and I mark it off my list. Here, God, heal this person, and he heals them, and I mark it off my list. Here, God, save this person, and he saves them, and I mark them off my list. That's just not how it happens. Primarily because God's calendar doesn't work on my calendar. God is not watching his watch and waiting for me to to tell him what time things are going to happen. He works on his own. And these three verbs in the Greek, ask, seek, and knock, are all in the same tense. They're in the present imperative, which, which talks about habitual, continuous action. So the better rendering would be keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. What if he doesn't answer? Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. But what if he doesn't do it like I want him to? Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Our, our hearts must be aligned to the will of the Father for us to really pray what He wants us to pray. When He says, if you ask, I'll give it to you, He doesn't mean whatever your silly heart desires, whatever your flesh desires. Y'all listen, the world is telling us to follow our heart. The Bible tells us the heart is wicked and desperately evil. Who can know it? Stop following your heart. Start trusting the Holy Spirit. Have discernment. That he talks about in the first part, to not wrongly judge, to judge in righteousness, to judge effectively, to judge by the same pattern of judgment that we're all going to be held to. And then once we do that, apply that discernment in the way you live your life. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Adam Clark says this, he tells us to ask with confidence and humility, seek with care and application knock with earnestness and perseverance. Part of the reason we don't see effective things happening in the church today is that we aren't praying effectively. Not that God's reach is limited, not that his strength is is somehow sapped, but our prayers are ineffective because we are not seeking, asking, knocking, continually asking God to intervene. I want to remind you, I feel like a broken record sometimes, there are three answers to prayer. Yes, no, and not yet. If you're praying for a yes and you get a no, your tendency, if you're like me, is to keep praying. Lord, if you would just do this for me, I'd really appreciate it. No. All right, Lord, you didn't understand. Let me, let me explain it again. See, if you will do this this way for me, I think it will be good for you and it will, it will like, it will, people will like you better. So, so do it this way. No. All right, Lord, one more time. Let me, let me, let me back up. Maybe, maybe you missed something that I said. No, that's not how he works. He knows what you want. He's just telling you no. Maybe we should get used to that. Maybe, maybe Connor, when God tells me no, he's trying to shape me into the image of his son. That's what he says he's going to do. He's going to conform me into the image of his son, his, his perfect son, his sinless son. So just maybe, possibly, y'all go with me here. I know we're out on a ledge. Maybe no is the best answer God can give me when I pray stupidly. Maybe I have limited vision and God doesn't. Maybe I'm a bonehead and God is the all-knowing, omniscient God of the universe. Maybe, just maybe, his plan is better than your plan. I haven't even gotten to my favorite quote yet, Neil. I'm already fired up. Here's my favorite quote. 
Y'all know I hate long, I hate to read long things from the, from the pulpit because I think you just kind of have a tendency. Y'all hang with me. Lean in a little bit. Don't, don't drift. Charles Spurgeon, and by the way, we're Spurgeon heavy today in the quotes for some reason. I don't know why. It wasn't my intention. I want you to listen to this. He, comment, commenting on this passage. Any uneducated man can knock if that is all which is required of him. A man can knock, though he may be no philosopher. Uh, a dumb man can knock. A blind man can knock. The way to open heaven's gate is wonderfully simplified to those who are lowly enough to follow the Holy Spirit's guidance and ask, seek, and knock believingly. God has not provided a salvation which can only be understood by learned men. It is intended for the ignorant, the short-witted, and the dying as well as for others, and hence it must be as plain as knocking at a door. Aren't you glad God didn't make you have to be a genius to understand that you need a Savior? You know, I think some of us are, are, are digging so hard. We want to find some special truth, some new nugget. We, we're, we're trying to look for some revelatory moment of like, aha, and the angels sing, and the, the little rays from heaven come down, and, and we have that moment of like, Maybe we should just knock. Maybe we should stop asking for our will to be done and for his will to be done. That's You want to talk about a great a model prayer? You know, we studied the model prayer a while back in Matthew 6. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let me tell you something. That's, that's a great prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, and there's a function in that. But if you pray that prayer and you don't pray the other model prayer that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was praying so hard that he was weeping blood from his pores, and he said, not my will, but your will be done, that's the model prayer that we need to get a hold of. God, I want you to do X, but I trust your will more than I want my way. God, I want you to do it this way, but I want you to do your will in my life. I want you to work things out the way you want to and help me to be obedient when you do it. Not my will, but yours be done. This ask, seek, and knock is not a new approach for God. In Jeremiah 29, one of the most misappropriated, hijacked verses in the Bible, Jeremiah 29, 11, no offense. Well, it's offense, I guess, if you don't like it. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You can extrapolate that verse to say that's God's nature, but you can't claim that verse unless you're ready to live in exile. Because that's the context of that verse. When the Lord spoke through Jeremiah and said that, what he's saying is you are in exile, you will be in exile, but don't worry because I have not forsaken you, I've got a plan for you. But then listen at 12 and 13. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Isaiah 55, 6 would go on to say, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Here's our issue, I think. I think. Now listen, if, if this doesn't, listen, when you throw a rock in a pack of dogs, the one that barks is the one that got hit. So yelp or don't yelp, but I'm throwing rocks this morning under the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? Maybe, just maybe, your prayers are not effective and your prayers are not being answered, number one, because you ain't living right. 
your heart is not right with the Lord. You're not as, as clean hands and a pure heart. Who can, who can come to the mountain of the Lord? The one with clean hands and a pure heart. Maybe you've got sin that you know of or sin that is unconfessed and you don't have that stuff clear with God and he's not listening to and answering your prayers. Maybe you're just praying wrong because you're letting your selfish motives drive your prayers rather than an earnestly uh, brokenness, a contrite spirit to say, God, I want your will for my life. Maybe it's not that you're calling to him, but you're actually calling to your own flesh. You're just putting his name on it. We do a lot of that in our culture. You know, I just feel like God just affirms what I'm doing right now. Really? It's amazing how many times when you build a God little G and you call him God big G, he will affirm whatever you foolish thing you want to do. Maybe it's just that we're not spending enough time with him. Here's, here's what I think. We are less effective for God when we are less inclined to spend time with God. But I'm busy. <laughs> you busy. Hey, chief, what you got that you're so busy doing that you can't talk to the creator of the universe? To help, me, help me understand your calendar better. But so Listen, I may agree with you. I won't, but maybe I will. Oh, man, I'm just, you don't understand. I'm just busy. I bet if we checked your uh, browser history... I bet, if, I bet if we checked your screen time, I bet we'd find you're not really as busy as you think you are. And can I just be honest with you? I don't care if you're rescuing kittens out of trees and helping little old ladies across the street. You're not playing whatever the new game is. I don't know what the new game is. You're not looking at Facebook or Twitter or Instasham. You're not doing any of that. Maybe you are doing good things. Listen to me. You're still not too busy to talk to the Lord of the universe. If you think you are, you've got your priorities misplaced. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit and, and talk about verse 11, and we're going to come back to 9 and 10. But you notice there in verse 11, he says, How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He reminds us once again that he is, God is, quote, your Father in heaven, because we need to have that understanding to remind us who we're talking to when we go to him in prayer. We're not, not talking to some distant deity that doesn't have a connection with us, some, some distant deity that doesn't care about us. We are talking to our Father in heaven. And, and, and Hebrews 4 reminds us of the privilege we have to do that. He says, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Since we have him, let's hold fast to our confession. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Then listen to this. Therefore, in other words, because of all that stuff I just said, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Let me ask your parents something. How do your kids come to you when they want to talk to you? Let's say you're in your room and your kids come into your room to talk to you. Do they come in trembling? Do they come in like this? Um, uh, Dad, Mom? Is that how they come in? Uh, uh, is that how they come in? I want you all to look at me. If you're doing it that way, you are doing it wrong. You don't parent out of fear. Fear is a good, healthy additive for parenting. But you don't parent out of fear and intimidation and humiliation. And neither does God. He's not telling me that I come to him like this. Oh, God, God um, um, it, it, I'm sorry to bother you. I, I, I really am sorry to bother you. But I, No, no, no. 
let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. We don't come strutting in going, hey, God, you better listen to me. That's not boldness. That's arrogance. And God hates arrogance, by the way. It's on the list. But what we can do is we can come in and say, hey, Dad, can I talk to you for a minute? And he's like, man, come on in. Absolutely. Come in and talk to me. Jesus uses two analogies for how God answers his children. He compares it with how humans answer their children. He uses sustenance versus stone and meat versus malice. I want you to understand that in the context here, the loaf of bread would look a lot like the stone and the, the snake or eel in some translations would look a lot like the fish. If you give a hungry child a stone instead of a piece of bread, the child will be worse off than when they started. If you give a hungry child a snake instead of a fish, they'll be in pain closer to death and worse off than when they started. But you know what both of those children and those analogies have in common? They both come needy. Let me tell you something. God recognizes your need. He wants to embrace your need and he wants to meet your needs according to his riches in glory, which is a whole lot better than my riches here on earth. Here's the issue at hand. God knows the difference between a bread and a stone, a fish and a snake better than we do. Sometimes parents can cave to the pressures from their kids and give them something that really is not the best for them, but God's not like that. God's the perfect model parent. He can make the hard decisions and give us what is best, even when what is best is not what is pleasant. See, when your kid comes to you, some of y'all young parents, jot this down. <laughs> See, when your kid comes to you late at night and says, I want a, a chocolate chip cookie, you need to tell them no. And if they cry and pitch a fit, maybe you need to apply a little leather. Spare the rod, spoil the child. It's in there. But maybe you need to apply a little correction and tell them no again. Maybe they didn't hear you the first time. You don't just need to give them a chocolate chip cookie at 9 o'clock at night because they want one. Why? Because your job is not to give your kids what they want. Your job is to parent your children. You're not raising children. You're raising adults. Try to make them be able to, to, to adapt to problems, to try to think through things, reason through things, make good decisions. Giving them what they always want is not an effective way to parent. By the way, it's also not an effective way to govern. And if you don't believe me, hang around for a few months and you're going to see it. We have to learn the art of no. You need to learn to tell your kids no. Grandparents, I know y'all about to get real fired up in here, but y'all need to lean in too. I know some of y'all sitting there going, yeah, y'all need to listen. I've done my time. I've raised my kids. Hey, if you've raised your kids, then quit spoiling your grandkids. Sometimes the art of no is generationally taught, and you need to keep reaffirming that for your children as they're raising their children. Can I tell you one more thing? You better learn to tell your flesh no, or it's going to run you right into a ditch. The art of the no is something we need to practice, and it's something that God models for us. When we pray and say, God, give me this, and he goes, but I got something better, he would be a terrible God, he would be a terrible heavenly father to give you the lesser and not withhold the lesser to give you the better. But if you're not careful and your ignorance and your flesh, but, but I want this. He's like, but I got something. But I don't care, I want this. That's why we have to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. 
We've got to pray until we get a clear answer, not until we get the answer we want. Romans 8, 28 tells us that everything works together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And if you don't believe that, then just stop what you're doing. But if you do believe that, when you ask and He says no, you say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you for protecting me from me. Thank you for protecting me from my flesh. Thank you for protecting me from the lesser so I can have the better. James 1.5 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, they should ask God. I think a lot of people ought to have James 1.5 tattooed on their arm or something so they can read it. There's not a lot of wisdom in the world today. In 1 Kings 3, King Solomon, God came to him and said, you can ask for anything you want and I'll give it to you. Anything you want and I'll give it to you. You know what Solomon asked for? Wisdom. Here's actually what he says in, in the Christian Standard Bible. He says that he wanted a receptive heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil. And because he asked for wisdom, God gave him everything else. Because Solomon knew what we need to know, that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no shadow of turning, James 1.17. See, here's our issue. We don't trust God enough to take what he gives us and assume that it's best. We think we know better than God. Does that, that sound stupid to you? when you when I, it, Maybe it's just me because I say stupid things all the time and maybe my stupid meter's broken. Adam, does that sound stupid to you? That we would, we would tell God, no, no, you don't know what I, I need. I need this. You don't know what I need. You, you, what you want from me is not as good as what I want from me. That just sounds crazy, doesn't it? Then why do we pray that way? And by we, I mean we. I'm not, listen, I'm not up here on some high horse going, y'all need to get to my level. I'm, help me. Like, get a couch, Grayson. Let's lay it up here. It's like a counseling session. Why, why do I pray and want things that God doesn't want from me? We've got to get that figured out. We've got to change our mentality to be able to say, God, we want what you want. Help my prayers to be dialed into what you want me to do. Here's the key. There's no wasted time in prayer because all time in prayer is spent with the Father. Time spent with God is never wasted. Ergo, there's no wasted time spent in prayer. We have to persist in prayer. Then once we've persisted in prayer, once we have sought the Lord, once we have gotten the answer that He wants us to hear, not necessarily the answer that we wanted to hear when we started, then we have to prevail in practice. Look at verse 12. One of the most famous verses in Scripture. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. This is the law and the prophets. We know this as what? The golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto it, to you. <clears throat> the word whatever there in the Greek is the word pas, which is the same word <clears throat> for all. It, means, it can mean all, any, every, uh, whatever, the whole. It means everything that you do, in everything that you do, do to others what you would have them do to you. Model what they should do when you live for them. Now, uh, just like sometimes we have a tendency to do misappropriate good things, uh, we do that with the golden rule. We try to hang all of theology. What he's saying here is, is uh, this is the law and the prophets. He's saying that the law and the prophets are hung on this activity. The way we live shows that we have properly understood and are living out the law and the prophets, the, the five books of the Torah that tell us how to live and the prophets who tell us how to apply that living. We do that by doing unto others as we would like them to do unto us. But to make our entire theology out of that is a mistake. I know people who won't repent of their sins, but they try to live by the golden rule. 
well, I'm going to live by the golden rule, and I think that's going to be enough. Well, here's the bad news. I've read the instruction manual, and that's not how that works. Warren Wiersbe said this, We should no more build our theology on the golden rule than we should build our astronomy on twinkle, twinkle, little star. <laughs> See, the golden rule is a good application, but that's not where we hang our theology to say, Well, as long as I do unto others as I would have them do unto me, I don't have to follow Jesus. I don't have to repent of my sins. I don't have to live according to the Scriptures. And various... Uh, versions of this rule appeared throughout uh, various Eastern religions. We find it first in the Old Testament, Leviticus 19.18, where he says, Don't take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. This was written around 1450 B.C. And, and then we see three other, uh, I found at least three er, early Eastern religions. So these were written somewhere around 400 to 500 B.C. Uh, Confucianism says, do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. Hinduism says, this is the sum of duty. Do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. And Buddhism says, hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Do you see the difference? See, they're all speaking in the negative. Do not do. Do not do. Hurt not. Jesus speaks in the positive. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You see the difference? Here's the difference. The difference is telling somebody, don't run into a parked car on the interstate versus telling somebody, if you see somebody broken down on the interstate, pull over and try to help. It's the difference between telling a child, stop lying, versus telling a child, always tell the truth. Jesus puts the positive spin on this uh, great way to live because he's explained to us that that's how we manifest that Christ is in us. We live that out by doing unto others as they would have them do unto you. Charles Spurgeon again, he says, Oh, that all men acted on it, and there would be no slavery, no war, no swearing, no striking, no lying, no robbing, but all would be justice and love. What a kingdom is this which has such a law? Can you imagine what our world would look like if we just, everybody lived by the golden rule? You talk about being able to thin down our judicial system. You talk about, listen, I saw uh, the uh, communications officer, I think, for the Mobile Police Department make a very impassioned plea about uh, the community uh, killing young people. We've had so much gun violence with young people. And I, I love the fire. I love the, the energy, man. He was serious about it. He was fired up. And I'm thinking to myself the whole time he's watching, he's talking to them when, man, if we just would treat others like we would have them treat us, we'd stop shooting in, into parked cars. We'd stop shooting into occupied houses. We'd stop trying to, trying to do all these crazy things that our society's doing. If we would just love each other, if we would just show the love of Christ. Y'all do realize we live in a terribly broken world. We live in a world that's broken, that's damaged, that's hurting. And we need to be people who show people how Jesus wants them to live. Not by railing against everything that comes down the street. Listen, if people only know you for what you're against and they don't know you for what you're for, that's a problem. Here's a quote from Robinson Crusoe. Most of you probably read that book in school. He says, I am cast upon a horrible, desolate island, void of all hope of recovery. I am singled out and separated, as it were, from the world to be miserable. 
I'm divided from mankind, a solitaire, one banished from human society. I have no soul to speak to or relieve me. Can I just tell you that I think, sadly, that's how a lot of our world lives? And you say, well, Brother Kevin, they can't live separated because we're connected. We got our cell phones. We got, you know, we're, we're, we can IM, DM, uh, PM, AM. I don't know what we can do, all that stuff. We, can, we got TikTok and Instasham, and, and we got all this other stuff, and Snapchat, and uh, we can text. We, I can call somebody right now eight time zones away. I can call somebody across the globe uh, anywhere I want to. I can reach out and just, t- just touch somebody. I can go hit them on their Facebook. I can talk to them on social media. I can express all my thoughts and frustrations on social media like we need more of that out there. And yet we live in a world that's more connected than we've ever been and yet we're totally disconnected. We've lost the ability to communicate. We've lost the ability, I think, to empathize with the hurts and the, and the heartaches of somebody else. We, we, we just tend to isolate and ostracize and we pick our sides and we, we, you have to be my enemy because you're not on my side. I think we're getting a little bit better, by the way, with our younger people. I've been, I've been doing like a 20-year study. We've been working with youth for like 20-something years. And used to, I would know who a kid was by, the, by their uh, phone case more than what they looked like. Because this is what you would see. They were walking around with their head down. They're looking at their phone. And now we're seeing a little bit more, uh, you know, kids being able to communicate a little bit better, which is good. But we, we live in a time that's completely polarizing. You got to pick a side. You got to get a team. You got to get a, a cause. You got to get something, and then you have to like sell your soul to that. You have to, man. You have to fight anybody who doesn't agree with that. Anybody who might think outside of that. You have to, you have to mark them as the enemy. And you have to go after them with everything you have. I think it's interesting that um, at the beginning of a month that has been hijacked for a certain um, way of life. I think it's interesting that this is where we landed in the scriptures today. And I want to be clear, I'm not attacking homosexuals. They sin differently than I do, but it's still sin. Their sin's not worse than mine. It's just different. It's a different avenue of sin that they take than I take. See, we're not called to hate those who disagree with us. We're not called to hate those who live differently than us. We're called to love Everybody. Y'all, it's time for the church to be the adult in the room. You see, we've earned a lot of the negativity that we've gained over the years because of people in churches under the guise of Christianity who have said and done wicked, hateful things to people. People who would love to stand on their high horse and look down their nose at people who sin differently than they do. People who are gluttonous and yet call out and scream and yell about homosexuality. People who are uh, cheating in their mind, but they're calling out people for doing drugs or whatever. We've got to get to a place where we understand that we have earned a lot of that and we need to own it and we need to move past it. People should know us because we love Jesus so much. I'll be honest with you, some of the Jesus that I saw growing up, I don't need to know that guy. But the Jesus I found in this book, I want to know him more. I want to know him more deeply. I want to walk closer with him. I want him to control my life because that's the Jesus who's real and that's the Jesus that you've been called to show the world. 
If we're to be salt and light as God calls us to be, where it starts is we need to treat others better than they treat us. You see, we don't have to celebrate sin to love sinners. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43 through 45, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Children of your Father in heaven. That's how you get to be known as a child of God by loving people. Again, John 13, 35, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Not your theology, not, your, not what you're against, not what you rail against. Now listen, I want, you to be, I want to be clear. I'm not telling you to go join the gay pride parade the next time it comes through your neighborhood. It's not what I'm telling you. We can stand against sin without hating people who commit sin. If you're going to hate sinners, you're going to have a long day. And you're going to start with the one in the mirror, I hope. He tells us here, Matthew 5, Jesus says it clearly. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's not how we've looked over the years, church. That's not how people recognize the church of today. They think of the church today as either compromising and cowering or hateful and vindictive. We're called to practice the one another's. That's really most of what the New Testament talks about. There's 59 occurrences on the back of your note sheet today. Don't, don't start reading them now. You'll lose me. <laughs> but there's 59, at least 59 one another's in the New Testament. And that's telling us how to live. Do this to one another. Treat uh, one another this way. Romans 13.10 tells us that love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. In 1 John 4, 20 and 21 it says, if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. We'll close with this, and I, I want to be, I, I want listen. I want to be as clear as I can be about this. I'm not trying to throw stones. I'm not trying to be hateful. I'm just, and I'm going to be honest with you, I don't, I don't take any pleasure in, in telling you these things because God's been pounding me with them for two weeks. Y'all get you some. Probably there's somebody here listening here live, uh, watching at home, who, when I'm talking about these things, when I'm talking about loving people and praying for those who persecute you and, and all these kind of things, some of you are thinking, yeah, but I'm not like that. You're, you're talking about these people like they were, uh, that all of us were like that, that all of us were unlovable and all of us were wretched and all of us were terrible, but I wasn't like that. I was always a good kid. I came to Jesus when I was very young, and I've never sinned. I've never, I never took a drink and never said a cuss word, didn't even think one. And it's unfair that I should have to love these people who are so nasty and filthy and, and do things that I find reprehensible. So if you think it's unreasonable for you to love those who think, live, act, and vote differently than you do, I want you to remember how wretched you are in comparison with the sinless Son of God. 
I want to remind you that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's not one of us who's going to strut into heaven on our own deeds. Every one of us, is, if we get into heaven, it'll be as covered in the blood of the Lamb. With our sins forgiven because of His sacrifice. He's the one who came and lived a life you could not live. Took a punishment that you could not bear. He rose from the grave so you could have victory over death and hell. And He's given you the opportunity to be called a son or a daughter of God. If you still think you can look down your nose at somebody who sins differently than you do, that's between you and the Lord. But I'm here to tell you, I'm not. Coming up on 25 years of following Jesus, and you know the thing that still astounds me is that he brought me in. It really is. It's really shocking to me. Y'all didn't know me. And as a matter of fact, most people didn't know me. There was a very small group of people in my inner circle that knew who I really was. And if I'm being honest with you, I just was using them. I didn't care anything about them. I was a terrible, wretched person. Had been raised in church, had been, had been taken and heard the gospel over and over again, and I just decided I didn't want to live by that. I wanted to do what I wanted to do, and I wanted to do what pleased me. And I, listen, I was headed to hell. I was going to bust the gates of hell wide open. And then Jesus, in all of his rich mercy and grace, reached down and plucked me off of that path and set me on a path to heaven and looked at the Father and said, Here, this is one of yours. Never gotten over it. And I pray that God will help me never to get over it. When you start getting over it, it's when you start thinking that you've earned something. That you're better than everybody else. That, that God picked you because you're special. God picked you because he's gracious. God picked you because he's merciful. Don't you want to show grace and mercy to those who are still on that path that you used to be on? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love for people to, to know you by the fact that you remind them of Jesus rather than the fact that you remind them of some mean-spirited, hard-hearted, looking-down-their-nose hypocrite, some Pharisee. If I've got a choice between siding with the Pharisees or Jesus, that's not even a hard one. And I hope it's not for you either. As always, our time of invitation is for whatever God's doing in your life. Whatever the Holy Spirit has prompted you to do, I ask you to be obedient. If that's to come up and profess Christ for the first time, to rededicate your life, to join the church, move your letter, anything like that. Whatever God has prompted you to do, I want you to be obedient. But specifically today, here's what I'm asking you to do in this time of invitation. Would you ask God to root out anything in your heart that doesn't reflect Jesus? Would you just today, you don't need to come and confess it to me, but would you just confess any of those attitudes that maybe you've got just confess those to the Lord and ask Him to forgive you of those and cleanse you of those so that you can reflect Jesus. Would you do that today? Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray. Listen, again, there, this is you're accountable to God for how you respond to this message. I have already responded to it before I could preach it. I've taken it to heart before I even got up here to preach it, and I hope you'll take it to heart too. But that's between you and the Lord. You've got to do business with him today. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for this time of invitation. Thank you for this time that we pause before we go about the rest of our day. We ask you to search us. We ask you to, to, to change us into the image of your son. God, only you can change a human heart. I pray that you do that today. I pray that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know Christ, I pray they would repent of their sins, turn from those sins, and follow him wholeheartedly today. God, if there's somebody here that's been professing faith but not living their faith out, I pray they would rededicate their life to serve Jesus more fully than ever before. But God, if there's any Phariseeism in us today, I pray that you would root it out and destroy it. I pray that we would be broken and contrite. We would humble ourselves before you and let you exalt us. I pray, God, that we would be people who take the love of Christ and go do what he would do for others, what we would have them do to us, and we would just exemplify that every day. And we can only do that with your help. I pray that you would do it in Jesus' name. Amen.